Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I got a real treat for you today. You're going to get to listen in on a couple of guys who spend a lot of time with lawyers and other professionals, and it's not going to be a gripe session, I promise. It's going to be the most productive 30 minutes you've ever spent with anyone because we're just going to give you all of our best advice here on the podcast. And then you're going to go out, you're going to implement it. You're going to make a lot of money and you're going to write each of us a really big check. My guest today is Steve Fretzen and he is the guy who wants you to be that lawyer. He wants you to make a great living and live a great life just like I do. And he's been doing this for years. He's got an incredible story and that story is what led him to do what he does. So I want you to please join me in welcoming Steve to the Inside BS Show. Steve, welcome. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you being here today. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here. All right. So we we got to start off right at the beginning. I mean, so was it the plane crash and how did that lead you to the epiphany that caused you to start this great business that you have? So the plane crashed on top of a courthouse and killed a thousand lawyers. And I said, I need to help these people. That didn't happen that way. (laughs) No, tell everybody, Um, but in all seriousness, I mean, we are going to have fun on this podcast, but they need to know your story to help because that informs everything that you do. So explain your story to them, please. Yeah, sure. So there's there's two key points here. One is that when I was younger, um, I had a wonderful weekend up in Eagle River, Wisconsin, with my girlfriend and some friends. We're flying back in a in a single or a, a six passenger Cherokee Piper. Lost her engine more than once uh, and ended up crash landing into a house uh, in Crystal Lake, Illinois. And uh, basically, near death experience. I was an absolute pretzel. Uh, broke both my arms, tore my hip out. I mean, my left arm and left leg were broken and dislocated, like away from my body. Like, I mean, up in some weird direction, like a pretzel, uh, broke ribs, knee, the whole thing. Um, and I ended up in a wheelchair with no use of my arms for a while and had some time to reflect on my life and, and how lucky I was on one hand and how I really wanted to sort of take charge of my career and take car- take charge of how I ran my life and how I was going to make impact in this world and all of those great things. And that led me to eventually starting my own business back in 2004, never thinking for a minute I would work with attorneys. And the recession hit in 2008. And the second turning point happened when I met an attorney who needed help with business development or sales as we know it. And I ended up uh, working with that attorney very well got him to some big numbers, did it again and again and again, then a firm, then another. And it ended up within two years, it ended up about 85% of my total business was working with lawyers and law firms. And now I'm uh, years later only working with individual lawyers, helping them with their, with their, their growing their own individual practices. But it was a couple of turning points. One, like an aha moment, wake up call in my life. And the other was the realization that the legal industry at the time and, and still today, highly underserved as it relates to learning the skills that we learned coming up in sales, right? Where, um, you know, they don't learn it in law school and they don't learn it at the law firm level, how to go out and actually effectively get business. And so that's been the business I've been in since 2004. And and I love working with attorneys. I find them to be not only uh, very interesting people, uh, great people, fun people, and intelligent people, but just some of the most wonderful relationships I could ever 
have have happened in my life have happened because I work in the legal space. So that's a fantastic story. And it's it's actually quite similar to my own. Um, tell me, uh, first of all, with the plane crash, uh, your girlfriend, everybody else on the plane, they all OK. What, what ended up happening? No, not not at all. Uh, the best I could tell you is that no one died. Okay. Uh, the right. thing that happened was, uh, in addition to me being a human pretzel for a while, my girlfriend suffered a traumatic brain injury in addition to breaking her back and legs and arms and everything. So she ended up not recovering fully. Um, I actually stayed with her for two years after the accident, hoping that she would fully recover and we could regain our relationship and, and get married and the whole thing. And it just, she never kind of, she never kind of made it back enough I would have essentially just been a full-time caregiver and she already had a family for that and they weren't real thrilled about me stepping in. So it ended up just working out horribly for her and, and terribly for me. The only positive spin on that at all is that I ended up meeting my now wife and having, you know, that, but, but at what cost? I mean, it's, it just, it was really, really horrific for, for her and the whole experience was, was pretty traumatic. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that and I'm sorry that, uh, that she was so badly injured. You know, I, I have a, I had a similar experience. I, I was working in a consulting, uh, company and I was, uh, called by my biggest client to deliver a command performance before we were ready, before we had results ready to go, and I was in a crosswalk, I was struck by a cab, and I was paralyzed from my armpits down, and that's when I left that job and went into doing what I'm doing now. But it took, you know, it took those events, my point, it took those events for you and I to figure out that we needed to be in this, um, you know, for for a sense of greater purpose. I think, and, you know, what, what I say, and I'm, I'm pretty sure what you say to lawyers all the time is don't let don't let your life get to that point right don't it doesn't have to you don't need right. to get hit by a cab you don't need to be involved in a plane crash to take control of your business and create a business that enables your lifestyle talk about how your business has enabled you to live a life live life on your own terms explain that to folks because i think that is you know, uh, we, like I said, we had to have these ridiculous experiences happen to us or we'd still be doing whatever the hell we were doing. Uh, how has your life gotten better as a result of you starting your own business? Yeah, I think one of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever was ever given in my life was from my father, who's a retired attorney. And he said, son, if you could ever work for yourself, do it because then you don't have a boss telling you what to do and you can create what you want to create. And he was a solo practitioner his whole career. And, you know, now he's retired down in Marco Island, Florida, you know, watching the dolphins swim around. So it, it, I really did take that to heart that it wasn't a matter of, of when I was going to start a business. It was a matter of what was going to be the business. I always knew I was going to run my own show at some point. I just needed to get enough sales experience, enough business experience to do it. And, and having my own business, I've made a lot of mistakes. I think at one point I had four companies at the same time with uh, 13 employees and three offices. And my overhead was 35000 a month before I took a paycheck, if I took a paycheck. so My, my palms you know, are sweating I, as you're saying that. My hands it's like are... I've, I've, I <laughs> I've made all these, all, but all these mistakes, though were meant to be because the key in anything you do in life is to make a mistake, learn from it, 
find what you liked about it, what you can take away from it, what can you do to improve yourself and how you make better decisions in the future, whether you're married and you've said some things to your spouse that you shouldn't have or how you're raising your kids or how you're running a business. It's all about learning and improvement. That's what life is. And so I think um, now I've got no employees. I work out of my home. I'm on Zoom all day and I never made more money and been more happy and more successful than I am today. So it all, it all works out as long as you continue to make those improvements in, in how you uh, structure things and especially how you make decisions to ensure you're happy doing what you're doing and you're adding value to the world. Yeah. Now, debunk this myth. I, I hear this all the time. There's, I, have, I have this one client who's a, who's a big firm managing shareholder who is constantly using the term lifestyle law firm in a pejorative way, as if it's as if it's something that you you should be beaten over the head with. Ah, it's a nice little lifestyle law firm you got there, right? Um, at debunk the myth that you're not a real lawyer, or you know, there's something wrong with coaching your kid's soccer team at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, or there's something wrong with not billing, you know, eighteen hundred hours a year. Help people understand that. I give people permission is what I'm asking you to do. To, it's okay. It's perfect. It's great. Tell people why that myth, it, it literally is killing lawyers. Lawyers commit suicide. They have nervous breakdowns. Help people understand that this is a great way to live your life. It's a great opportunity. Well, it's interesting. The deliverable that I'm that I'm selling, what I'm giving to lawyers is the ability to create the business that you want to create based on bringing in new clients, bringing in the right kind of clients, bringing in, you know, the, in, in the type of work that you want to do. And if you can go out and get the clients that you love and you can bring in that revenue, well, what does that revenue do? Well, it allows you to invest in technology. It allows you to invest in infrastructure, in delegation to paralegals, other lawyers, et cetera. And if you, if you work smart and you, and you build it and, you, and you, you run it the right way, then the lifestyle isn't the lifestyle. That just makes you a smart business person, right? And the person who's killing him or herself at 1,800 plus hours a year being handed work by everybody else and maybe a great lawyer but has no life, is that, is that the person who's, who's so, you know, has no lifestyle? Is that person smart? I would say not. So, uh, you know, again, it's everybody's got a different take on what they want out of their career and out of their family and out of whatever. And, and people are going to make their own individual decisions. The, what I'm looking to help lawyers with is that balance, is that lifestyle. Make as much money as you want to make and don't do it at the, at the, at the you know, sacrifice of everything that matters to you. Your health, your family, saving money, preparing for retirement, etc. So I, that's the myth, the myth that you have to work harder these days to get ahead. I think that was the, that's, that's the thing in the 70s and 80s that my father came up with was work harder than everyone else. I think I did that in my sales career, quite frankly, okay? But the reality is that smarter, better than harder will always, always win the day. Sure, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with getting shortcuts from Steve to help you, for, to prevent you from making mistakes maybe that he's made or that even better yeah. that he's seen other lawyers make so you don't have to make them. I mean, you don't you don't get any points for doing things the hard way. 
There's there's no there's nobody keeping score saying, oh, you know, you stopped work at 10 o'clock last night. You didn't work until midnight, so you're not going to be lawyer of the year. There's nobody doing that. So, you know, I, I mean, and we um, I say we I'm I'm not a member of the legal profession, but we in the legal profession have created this this trap where. You know, the billable hour is is, you know, king in uh, in big firms. And what does that mean? That means, you know, if you're not giving up your life, you're not going to make partner. Right. Unless you figure out and we can we can talk about this in a second. Unless you figure out how to bring in five million bucks a year in business, you got to bill eighteen hundred hours. You got to bill twenty two hundred hours in order to make partner. And you're, you're going to have to work until 10 o'clock at night. You're going to miss your kids growing up. There's, there's a whole host of things you're not going to be able to do. So we've created this trap. And basically what Steve is doing is he's getting you out of the trap, but he's going to hand you the key. You got to open the door and walk through. So to that point, Steve, talk about this, um, this idea you know, and uh, and you you have it on your website, and I used to be the same way. You know, lawyers hate the word sales, okay? And I used to avoid. I used, it was always business development. I would never talk about sales. I would never talk about marketing. I would always say business development. But you know what? I'm leaning into sales now because the definition of selling is helping, right? You're helping people in exchange for financial compensation. So, you know, if you're a lawyer and you want to do your best work, you got to find people to help. Talk about this myth, this other myth of just being a good lawyer and, you know, be a good lawyer and the, and the clients will come, right? Yeah. I know a lot of good lawyers who are broke, Steve. I know a lot of good lawyers who are, you know, who are miserable because they, they got work handed to them. They're not working with the clients they like. So talk about the myth of just be a good lawyer and the clients will come. Yeah, and it wasn't a myth, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Again, when my father practiced law in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, he was the smartest guy in the room. He would plop himself down in a room full of attorneys and shared office and everybody would go to Larry to find out this and that and, and send him work. And he never had to really do any any kind of business development, marketing, networking, branding at all, other than just being a good relationship guy and being smart. And I think when you look at the number of attorneys that are coming out of law school, the number of attorneys in the marketplace, the competitiveness um, and who's really getting ahead. It's the rainmakers, the rainmakers of the future, especially if you consider also that Utah and Arizona and Nevada, there are parts of the country now that are allowing non-lawyer owned law firms. Well, do you want to compete against Google and Deloitte and all these big companies when they start getting into legal? So the, the big, the big myth is that you can just do great work and that you're going to, you know, that you're going to do well in your career. I don't, I think that's not the norm anymore. I think you have to think about yourself as you Inc, whether you own your own firm or whether you're a part of a, a thousand person firm, it's your business under that umbrella and your brand and your name and how much business you bring in is absolutely relevant, not only to how much you make, but how you get that balance or that lifestyle or the ability to see your son or daughter's games or whatever, that's all coming into focus. And even the people that used to make partner because they had so many hours, that's no longer necessarily the standard. It's billable hours. And by the way, what have you brought in? What are you adding to the pot? And if you're not adding to the pot, then you're just 
you know, you're disposable. And now it's interesting because of the great resignation and what's been going on. Lawyers are making more and getting more than they ever had because there's a shortage. But when that smoke settles, I think it's going to be a, a rude awakening that these law firms are going to find that their margins have, have been cut short and they're going to be looking for that new business. Yeah. So to that point, whenever, whenever I try to, so occasionally a sole practitioner will come to me and he or she will say, I, I just, I don't want to handle the, the admin stuff anymore. I just want to go back to work at a firm. Right. And you take a really efficient sole practitioner and their profit margins are like 70, 80%. Right. And then you integrate them into a firm and the firm squeezes the life out of them and their profit margin goes down to like 35 <laughs> percent. And they, they look around and they go, what the hell happened here? Well, what happened is now you got a boardroom and you got 15 extra offices that are vacant because the firm is going to grow someday. And you got a paralegal and you got a guy in the file room who puts the files away. And you got somebody on Zoom making sure that your Zoom call doesn't get screwed up. All of that is cutting into yep. your profit margin. So, Steve, talk about and this this actually this happened to me. It's a it's a, a real life story. You know, when I went out on my own, I went into business and I, I, I thought, okay, so I, I ran a $250 million consulting business and I go out on my own and I, I think I need to be around people who are successful at this. So I'm going to go join EO. So I go to an EO meeting and the first guy I meet is like, how many employees you got? I'm like, none. And I don't want any. And he's like, oh, this, then EO is not for you. You got to have at least 10 employees and you got to do a million dollars a year in revenue. And I said, well, look, I can do a million dollars a year in revenue by myself and I'll take home 850,000 of that million dollars. How much do you have to do in revenue to take home $850,000? The guy turned and walked away. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess EO is not for me after all. <laughs> so, nice. you know, I mean, explain it to the folks who are listening, right? And it's not just in the practice of law, Steve. It's, you know, it's in every professional practice. Explain to the folks who are listening how you can build a business where you don't have to have all of the, you know, the accoutrement, if you will. Uh, and you can like, you, I'm in my house. I have put, put a studio together in my house. You're in your house. Explain to people how you can do this. Yeah. So again, it's never been easier than today. And I think if the pandemic has, has taken us in a positive direction at all, it's that the realization that we can do business with very low overhead. You have a camera, you have a computer, and you know you can have virtual assistants. You can have technology handling your scheduling. You can have technology handling your bookkeeping. Have technology handling all the you know all the, the CRM. There's all the things that 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 you're doing now where you really don't need to have a big overhead. So it's it's just never been easier. If if a lawyer said, hey, you know what, enough of this. I've got a half a million dollars that I'm making you know X amount on. I can take that and build on it and make a lot more on my own. Right now, it's as long as you have the the guts for it and you have the ability to to understand you know that you do have to bring in some technology. You may have to bring in you know uh, maybe you do have an employee. Okay, if that's comfortable, then fine. But but you you have to decide that you're going to make that move and you've got to decide that you want to run your own show. That that leaving that comfort in the uh, in that risk free environment of being in a law firm, for example. Um, and there's a lot of benefits that come with that. And, and, and people, not everybody's built to be on their own, Dave. I, mean, I think, think you know that. Uh, not everybody's built as an entrepreneur. Not, you know, so there are some people that are you know, dying to get back to the law firm because they've been on their own for two years and it's been an absolute slog. So 
you know, it goes both ways. But I would say like, if you're going to go at it on your own, you need to make sure that you've got processes. If you're just winging it, you know, then that's not going to be an easy road. But if you're able to learn from people that have been there, done that and have the technology, have the processes, you know, then, and everything can come into play and ramp you up so much quicker, which I think alludes to what you had said earlier. Yeah. So um, I want you to talk about the value in learning from other people in the same profession. So um, I want you to talk about, because you do peer advisory groups, you have groups where people sit around the table and, you know, they kind of bear their souls and it's, it's highly productive. I, I belong to one. Uh, I've benefited from them myself over the years. I used to, I used to have groups like that, that I, you know, led and, um, I want you to explain to people the value of that, and I want you to do it in just one minute because I need to remind people right now that we are brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. So for over 35 years, Sandrowski Corporate Advisors has helped people with all sorts of things related to their accounting. Now, this is an accounting firm at the highest level, and one of the things I want to make sure that you know about that Sandrowski does is they will help you minimize your tax exposure when you are ready to sell your business. But the key thing about that is you got to bring them in before the time happens when you're going to go sell your business. So you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, you have a business and you think the window for selling your business is going to occur five to seven years out. That's the perfect time to bring Sandrowski in. Why? There's this element of the tax code. There's this exception in the tax code for qualified small businesses. And Sandrowski, their team, they're experts at this. Now, it's not for everybody. It's not in every industry. You have to give them a call to see if you qualify. But they need to set you up for success with this qualified small business tax exemption about five years before you're ready to sell. If you want Sandrowski to give your business the once over to see if you fit, and by the way, you're going to save millions of dollars if you qualify and you let Sandrowski do the work. And I'm not exaggerating. Harry Sandrowski just told me a story the other day where he saved someone over $10 million in taxes when that person sold their business because of this tax treatment. So let me give you their number. It's 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Give Sandrowski a call today. Have them take a look at your business. Even if you don't know when you're going to sell, have them examine the structure of your business so that you're in the best position if and when that day comes. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. So you're a professional and you need a little boost in your revenue. Well, I want you to download My Revenue Roadmap Guide. It's my gift to you. It's free. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for watching. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com. Download your business development plan. It's the same plan I use in my one-on-one coaching with my clients. You can take it. You can customize it for your professional practice. It doesn't matter if you're a consultant or an architect or an engineer. The plan works. It's worked for over 15 years with the people that I've worked with. Download it today. It's free, revenueroadmapguide.com. My guest is Steve Fretson. He's an expert in helping lawyers build their business. He wants you to be that lawyer. And who is that lawyer? That's a lawyer whose practice enables their lifestyle. If you want to reach out to Steve, you can call him at 847-602-6911, 847-602-6911. All of his contact information is going to be in the show notes. All right, Steve. So tell us the value 
in learning from your peers because lawyers, a lot of them are competitive, right? And a lot of them have good size egos. They don't want to bear their soul in front of people who they think are their peers. Explain the value of a peer advisory group. Yeah, so it's really unbelievable. Um, I'm taking attorneys in different practice areas that have a, a significant book of business, growing book of business, and I'm putting them in a room together with a very specific agenda of, of, of reintroducing themselves and the accountability of what they've done in the last month to grow their law practice and to improve. Then we go into um, either uh, an internal discussion of a challenge that they've shared uh, earlier. I have a list of things that they said, hey, th these are the things we want to talk about and work on together. We do that. Or I bring in a guest speaker. That guest speaker could be a huge rainmaker that could teach them some things about how to better delegate, how, to, how, how that person grew business, give them ideas. And then also uh, people in legal marketing, people in uh, time management, and, and, and again, just all different areas of, of improving how a firm is run or improving how a book is built. And then I have someone go into the spotlight, and the spotlight is beautiful. It's, it's someone shares a challenge that they're having at their firm, challenge they're having with growth, and we take them through a specific process of asking questions, ferreting it out further, um, and then once that's all been been done, then we all step in and, and offer suggestions. And then the person who's in the spotlight then has to say, hey, I'm going to commit by this date and time to looking into this and accomplishing one or two of the things that were recommended to take action. And then in our next meeting, we review that. So this is an opportunity for these people to feel like that they're not on an island. They have a team of people to collaborate with, to cooperate with. They even go so far, and this may sound surprising to some people, to the people listening, that they actually do accountability buddies too. So for example, they might get together once a week or once every other week as a team of two, three, four lawyers. They get on, get on a Zoom. They say, hey, here's what I'm going to do for the next 30 minutes. I'm going to send out 10 emails. I'm going to write this article. I'm going to whatever they normally wouldn't do. And then they come back in 45 minutes or 40 minutes and say what they did with the group. So now they've got workout buddies, but for business development. So these people all become very good friends. They all become networking buddies. But most importantly is they're learning from each other and each other's mistakes to empower them as a team to achieve their goals. And I can tell you from 2021, I, I don't know anyone that didn't achieve their goals uh, that they had set at the beginning and, uh, and work towards them. So it's been so far an absolute success. I've got five of these groups running with another couple coming. So it could be as many as seven of these groups by the end of the year. And the folks who are in these groups, they're, they're from all over the country or are they, are they organized by practice? Are they organized geographically? How do you organize them? Yeah. So they're all, so they're from all over the country. I've got two different levels. I've got, if you do under a million in, in, in portable book or originations, however we want to look at it, you would be in a business development round table. If you're over a million, million five, and I've got people as high as 10, 10, they go in the rainmakers round table. And so I've got these two different structures set up. And then I'm also setting up a women's power group and a legal tech board all happening within the next couple months. So it, it's not so much about geography. It's more about sort of where they are in their career and, uh, and, and, and what, what group is going to make the most sense for them. I find that the Rainmakers, many of them are managing partners or they're people on, ex on the executive committee because they're doing millions and millions of dollars. And when you do that at a law firm, you tend to be sort of a leader.
Yeah, they so that and that's that that statement in and of itself, we could probably do like an hour long show on that instead of instead of saddling those people with administrative responsibilities, they should just let them go out there and meet more people and sell more legal work. But we'll leave that for we'll leave that for another show. Um, So explain. So this is a scalable business model for you, which is great for your business. But the real power is in what every what the, the people are getting from one another. Um, help me with this, uh, with this hypothesis that I have, and maybe, maybe we'll talk it through together, or maybe you just have the answer. So, uh, there's, there's a value to you and I being outsiders because we come to the practice of law with fresh eyes and we can say, Hey, what you're doing there, what that practice is in that. I know it's traditional in the practice of law, but it's crazy. You shouldn't do that anymore. And, you know, people look at us and they go, oh, that's genius. But there's also value in having somebody sit across from you and say, listen, I've been there and I was banging my head against the wall and you can stop banging your head against the wall because it's never you're never going to succeed by doing this. This is what you need to do. Explain the the hypothesis hypothesis that I have is. The magic in those peer groups is, well, you know, Fretzen's been telling me to do this forever, and I'm sure he's right, but he's not like me. Now, this group, this guy here, he's just like me, and he said the exact same thing Steve said, but I'm going to do it now. <laughs> so explain what, like that, what is that magic that, that, that occurs that, so all of a sudden they do it, and then they go back and they go, Steve, you're a genius. I did what you were telling me, but I didn't do it until the guy who was just like me told me it worked. So that, that validation that comes, explain the magic that happens with that dynamic. Yeah, I mean, it either might be a trust but verify situation, you know, getting it verified by another. So I'll give an example. Like when I bring um, a new lawyer into my, any of these programs, whether it's coaching and training or the peer advisory, I actually have them talk with other lawyers. That's a part of my process is don't just take my word for it or don't just meet with me and think this is a great idea. Why don't you slow down actually, since your lawyers are typically risk averse anyway, and why don't you talk to one or two people that are in the program that are lawyers that have been where you've been and get it from them. So I'm actually pushing them towards that because I do understand that it, it, there's something about it coming from uh, someone in the same profession, someone who has a similar practice area, someone who uh, maybe is in a certain part of the country, that they're just, it's, gonna, it's just going to sound better and they're going to take it as a, as a stronger indication that it's for them. And so I think that's, you know, I only take things so far. I like, in many cases, I lock up new business, not from, from me, you know, using some fancy closing line. I say, well, talk to a peer. Talk to someone else that's been in this group or talk to someone I've worked with and hear it from them. And of course, they lay it out, what happened to them, what we did and what the group is doing. And next thing you know, I get an email that says, I'm in. Where do we, where do I sign? So my presentation isn't very thorough because I generally just allow my clients to do the, 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 the dirty work for me. But it works out better for everybody that way because then they know what they're getting into. They know it's been verified. And uh, and again, it's it's... So, yeah, I mean, it's now if I was a lawyer as a coach, I still think that they would want to talk to another lawyer. I think it's just something in the DNA of the lawyers to get um, to get it verified from from someone that's in that's in their shoes. You know, Steve, we you and I haven't talked about this, but um, I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious to see what your what your reaction is to this. And then 
you know, at some other point when we have a beer, we can we can really expand on this conversation. What is what is your thought about people who are not successful in the practice of law becoming coaches for lawyers? Because I I think I know if I know one, I know like thirty, right? I think I know thirty yeah. people who. You know, they some of them actually went bankrupt and decided, well, I can get a real estate license or I could coach other lawyers. What is, what's your thought on that? I mean, would I rather take advice from someone who has like, you know, you you or me or someone else that has 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 been successful building a business and has proven themselves out maybe more than one time? And that's who I want to take advice from as it relates to how I'm going to, you know, a lawyer's going to grow his or her practice. Or is it from someone who failed at something and just enjoys coaching? And I just feel like I'd be a better coach than I would be a lawyer or better than I would be a business owner. I, I don't know how well they do. I don't know how well someone like that would do. They might be okay for a year or two, but they don't have a process. What are they bringing to the table other than their their experiences, which maybe weren't the best? So I know there's people out there doing it and if they're good because they, they should have been a coach from day one, they never should have been gotten into law or the law degree and the fact that they are passionate about coaching and helping others makes them a great coach. Okay. But I just, I, I know that a big part of what I'm teaching lawyers is proven repeatable processes and methodologies that keep getting improved as I go year to year to year. And so somebody can come, walk up to me and I can basically give them the roadmap, work them through it and train them how to be an assassin and let them run with it uh, versus them sitting across from a coach and saying, you know, how was your week? And, well, you know, did you do what you said you were going to do? And how'd that go? And yeah, if I were you, I would. That's not really what everyone needs. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's an, there's an interesting dynamic and it's uh, as far as I can tell in professional services, it's kind of unique to the practice of law. You don't, I don't see, I don't see surgeons who've killed people teaching other surgeons how to run their practices. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a real unique phenomenon in the, in the legal space today. And, you know, there, there is, there are all kinds of people like your, your point about proven processes. If I were, if I were interviewing someone, to you know, to join their uh, their uh, Rainmaker Roundtable or to join their peer advisory group, what I would say is, tell me what your process is, and you know, Steve could answer that question in two seconds. If you're if you're talking to one of these people who's a you know, uh, and I'm not denigrating these people, so don't don't you know make don't leave comments on the video. Hey, you know, you're denigrating. So if you're if you're one of these people who's teaching them to run their law firm on an iPad, okay. And, you know, what's your, what's your process? Well, you buy the iPad and then I teach you how to do it. Well, there, that's not a process. That's, that's like hints, you know? So let me, let me interject though for a second. There's also people that have really great processes, but they're terrible with people. They're oh, sure. not a great Absolutely. communicator. They're not, they're not understanding or empathetic. They're just, they're, they're just in your face, do it my way or the highway, whatever. That's not going to resonate. So I think it's a combination a good coach, a good trainer is going to have a great process and he's going to be able to alter his or her coaching style to the individual to make sure that that, that, that process can be communicated in, and, in, and, in, um, in, uh, in, in, in taken in, in a way that's going to resonate with that individual. So I think it's, 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 there's multiple things going on here and you need to really have both. I agree. I agree. Now, you said something earlier that I want to go back to. You said that you didn't have a magic closing line. You didn't you didn't have the you know, you didn't have the, the, the line that would close the deal. And 
I, I'm curious as to your opinion on this. I don't believe in professional services, and this goes back to my career uh, over the years in consulting. I never sold one consulting project, right? Uh, a client viewed me or my team or the process that I have as a solution to a specific problem, and that's when we start to work with them. So there's no, you know, in the practice of law and what you do and what I do, there's no, there's no, there's no selling. The client decides they want the help and they decide we're the right person to help them. And that's when this happens. There's no, no matter how much you pester them, that's never going to change. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So the old, the old, the way that I used to sell and the way that my managers used to work with me to sell was to just go after people and, you know, pitch the product and convince them that this is what they need and jam a square peg in a round hole, okay? And I had multiple managers that loved me because my activity was so high. The problem was most of the people that I was talking to weren't really qualified and they really weren't excited about it other than the the, the, the sizzle of the steak that I, because I was a good presenter, okay? So lawyers are told to go on what are quote uh, called quote pitch meetings. Well, what does a pitch meeting imply? You're going in, you're talking about yourself, you're talking about your people, you're talking about your solutions, you're talking about your rates, and you're trying to convince them that you can handle the legal work better than the other firm that they're with. That's a pitch meeting. And what I'm training lawyers on is to toss out that whole methodology, scrap it, soup to nuts, and let's go back to how do we build relationships, how do we maintain control of the meeting, and how do we qualify this as a win-win or as a fit that's happening through questioning, listening, and empathy, not through selling, pitching, and convincing. And so that's really the, the big twist of what I call sales-free selling, which is the name of my first book. Uh, I now have four, but the first one was my favorite, which was all a, about the methodology I was teaching, where in professional services and even in, in non-professional services, it really should, it sh people are more turned off than ever when they feel like they're being sold to. Right, Dave? I mean, that's just the this, this straight fact. And so people are still going at it the same way. In fact, I have a client that went on a pitch meeting with three or four other lawyers. They talked for an hour about themselves, an hour about their firm, a hour about, and right at the end, my client stepped up. Do you mind if I just ask you a few questions? And then he got all this great information they never had. And it's because he, a, he couldn't run the meeting because he wasn't in charge, number one. So it was a disaster from the start. Number two is that... Um, you know, the other people in the group, they hadn't known me, gone out, you know, they didn't work with me. They had no concept of what sales free selling is. So they, they had no alternative, but to go about it the way it's always been done, which is back ass word, in my opinion and experience. No, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. So who's your, who's your ideal client? So there, there are people listening right now who are, are thinking about getting into coaching, um, give us the, give us the avatar for both levels of your, uh, of your program and who are, who are the ideal people for each level? Yep. So I've got two different programs I'm running. One of them is coaching and training. It's like an MBA for business development. It's individual attorneys that are highly motivated to grow. Doesn't matter if they're at a big firm or the solo in Hawaii or in Chicago, doesn't matter as long as they have room for growth and they're open and willing to work with me and work hard to learn these skills and execute, that's my who I'm looking for, individual attorneys. The same goes for the um, roundtables, but the only difference is 
Some of the people I coach and train have no experience in business development. The people that come into my roundtables at either level, under a million in origination or over a million, they all have some level of experience in business development and they just want to hone it further through the advice of their peers, not necessarily through working with me as a coach and a trainer. So that's really the, but again, individual attorneys could be a managing partner of a big firm, small firm, could be just someone that is, you know, got a half a million dollar book and wants to make it a million. All right. And how do they, how do they determine where they're a fit? They, you go through some evaluation, like a, like a discovery process with them. How does that work? Yeah. So essentially I, I do about a 30 minute eval and I ask a ton of questions. I take my own advice. It's all sales free. It's questioning, it's listening, and it's understanding where the gaps are. And what I find is that sometimes people have a pile of money just sitting in front of them and they're wandering around it all day, all week, all month, all year. And when I see that those gaps exist, whether they're doing 10 million or whether they're doing no no million, right? There's gaps. And based on those gaps, I can put them in a full-blown MBA coaching training program, or I say, you know what? Your gaps are pretty minimal. I think they can be resolved through being in a peer advisory group. You're already doing great. You're kicking some tail. All right, let's put you in this, and you're going to even go further, and that's really the way that it, it evens out. Okay, so Steve, I want you to think of, I'm going to give you a minute. I want you to think of three big things that people should take away from our time together today. Three three big takeaways from our time together. While you're thinking of those, I'm going to remind people that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. For 35 years, Sandrowski has helped people with their accounting needs. And the specific thing that I want to mention now about Sandrowski Corporate Advisors is their business valuation group. So you're going into a merger. You're going you're gonna to combine your business with somebody else's business. You need to determine what the value of each of those businesses is. And you don't want to depend on the other guy's accountant to do that for you. And you don't know if your accountant can do that because all you've ever used your accountant for is to do your annual taxes. Well, this is where Sandrowski comes in. They've had experience for the past 30 years doing these business valuations. Let them come in and look at your business. Let them look under the hood. Let them check out all the financials. They'll even be able to give you some business guidance and advice for post-merger if you'll let them. And they can determine what the value of the business is and then assign the you know the price of each of your shares or the, the value of each of your shares accordingly. Or maybe you're divesting yourself of a portion of your business and you want to know about how much that portion of the business is worth. Again, Sandrowski's team will come in, they'll look at the business, they'll, you'll tell them what you're going to break off and they will be able to determine what the value of that business is. I can't stress enough how important doing this work is. This will help you make an educated decision when you're buying, when you're selling, or when you're merging. Reach out to Sandrowski today, 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Also, take me up on my offer of a free gift, the Revenue Roadmap Guide, revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your name and contact info, download your free guide to building your book of business. You can do it. It's very easy. It's super. I, I made it really simple. You answer questions. You customize the plan. It could be like falling out of a boat isn't this simple. RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. Enter your contact info. It's my gift to you. I appreciate you being here. All right, Steve. We've been talking now for a good 40 minutes. Um, by the way, my guest is Steve Fredson. Call him at 847 602 6911 
1-800-273-6911. You can be that lawyer. I'm also going to put Steve's email. If you're an email person, I'll put it in the show notes. All right, Steve, what are our big three takeaways from our time together today? All right, that minute gave me some time to write a couple things down that we discussed, so here they are. Number one is, if you have an opportunity to use a process for anything, a recipe to make a dish, uh, a new a new uh, meal at home, a process for how to be better as a trial attorney, anytime you're given a process that is a proven process, use it. Winging it is not a successful strategy, right? That's number one. Number two is it is you Inc. I don't care if you're at a thousand person firm or you're on your own, you can't rely on that job being a job forever or you can't rely on making partner because you bill a lot of hours. You need to think about your brand and how you're putting yourself out there, your network, because if the world changes, which it's shown on many occasions it does, you need to be prepared with your own clients, your own book of business. And so make it you Inc. Uh, you incorporate. That's number two. And number three goes back to the very beginning, Dave, and that is you get one shot at this thing called life. You get one shot at, at making a great career for yourself, having, taking care of your family, doing the right things. So make it count, right? Don't, don't wait to get hit by a car or a taxi. Don't wait to fall out of the sky in an airplane. Don't wait to, you know, get COVID and, 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 and almost die on a ventilator in a hospital by yourself. Do it now. Get your act together and start thinking strategically about how you're going to build the life of your dreams. And it doesn't have to be all at once. It can be something that happens gradually over time, incremental improvements. Either way, make it count. And you can learn so much from your peers. I encourage you, if you enjoyed this conversation today, reach out to Steve. You can call him at 847-602-6911. His contact info, his website, all his information is down in the show notes. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our time together. I could have gone on for another hour and a half. So thanks again for, for being with us today. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Great time. All right. That'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. I appreciate you being here. We'll see you right back here again tomorrow for another edition of our show. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.